0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Security Repo Podcast. Today, we're diving into a really interesting topic and a topic that a lot of people have reached out and wanted us to do an episode of. So today, we're talking about social engineering, getting past the human defenses. We have a fantastic guest to come on the show and talk about this. We have Rhiannon Schultz on, who's from Kansas City, Missouri, and she attended the University of Central Missouri. Now, Rihanna actually has a extensive background in cybersecurity, starting off with academia. She has a Bachelor of Science in cybersecurity, specializing in secure software development, and also a master's in science and cybersecurity, specializing in information assurance. What makes Rihanna such a special guest for us is that not only does she has that academic background, but she also has a very technical understanding has worked a lot in endpoint security engineering, network security engineering, and is currently working as a team leader out of a security operations center. Rihanna also volunteers as a national cyber-league coach and provides her industry expertise by doing guest speaker talks for numerous colleges and high schools across the Woodmess to STEM students. This episode is really looking at social engineering. So... This is a field that you're an expert in. Uh, you've done many presentations, uh, including at B-Sides Las Vegas, you know, around around this. So, for the listeners that may be new to this or coming in, you know, wh- what is what is the high level of social engineering? What are we What are we talking about when we're talking about? That?
1: Yeah, it's a way for threat actors to really introduce risk into a business environment. It's a way to allow users essentially to act with either emotion or just going through their day-to-day user behaviors like clicking, so that way they can introduce those risks without really stopping and pausing and thinking about, hey, is this this a threat? Is this something suspicious? Um, Throughout some of my presentations that I've done, I've talked about different social engineering behaviors that will allow this. Some of this might be doing it with a sense of urgency. Phishing emails, I guess, is probably one of the most common social engineering tactics that we really see as security professionals. Um, Even Sands introduced an article recently that phishing is still the number one threat out there. And that's because it's allowing our users to act before thinking. Uh, A couple other ways are maybe a false sense of promise. Like, hey, you want a ton of money. You know, you got 24 hours to redeem this money. Click the link. And when you click, there you go. You're introducing some threats. So.
2: Uh, how, I'm just curious to follow on that. So phishing, obviously, number one. Yeah. Uh, we hear more about, I've heard a lot about smishing in the last year. The, um, SMS phishing. <laughs> and then um, I think the uh, MGM breach earlier this year was just from good old fashioned picking up a phone and calling somebody. Uh, what, what other social engineering tools do people have other than the traditional phishing email?
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, if you really even think about it, probably go to the grocery store and someone hands you a flyer and they're like, Hey, come check out our concert. Right. And there's a QR code on it. There's a way for someone just to do it day to day. Um, you know, we talk about sometimes our pen testers out there, they'll just drop random USBs just to see if people will pick it up out of curiosity. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm sure if you write star Wars on a random USB, someone was probably going to plug it in. (laughs)
0: Unless they listen to this podcast, and then they will know. Oh yeah, don't are. do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, look, there's a couple of you've you've already mentioned a couple of like red flags, like random USBs lying around, suspicious emails. What are some of the biggest kind of red flags that you can tell people to, to like to look out for that may indicate that they're actually in being involved in some kind of social engineering attack?
1: Yeah. um, Specifically with the presentation I've talked about, I always go back to email because I feel like everyone at some point has experienced a phishing email. You know, not all of us have experienced a random USB in a parking lot or something, but I feel like we can all relate to an email or a phone call. Um, Honestly, I have a great story about my dad and he would probably hate that I'm talking about this on a podcast, but it's okay. Sorry, dad. Um, (laughs) He got a phone call one day And the call kind of phished their telephone provider. And so my dad buys cable and phone service through the same company. And the call goes, hey, we've noticed that you're paying, we'll say like 80 bucks a month for all of these services. We are branching off to a new company, kind of like how Verizon and Sprint has different smaller companies for single lines and stuff. Um, They were trying to advertise it that way. And so coincidentally, my dad was also looking at different phone services and cable companies just to compare prices around the area. And he goes, oh, tell me more about this. And the person on the call goes, well, I'm just going to verify some information with you. And it was very generic information. Of if you had Googled my dad's phone number, all this information would pop up. And it was his address, obviously his phone number, his first and last name, um, You know, just things that you can pull online. And my dad goes, yeah, that's me. This is all checking out. And the person goes, cool. Well, this offer, by the way, is only within the next 48 hours. So this is a sense of urgency kicking in. It's also something very relatable. It's, in my opinion, nothing unexpected since it was very coincidental. He was looking for different providers. And so the person goes, you know, you have X amount of time to do this offer um, for us to make sure that you're going to be a loyal customer with us. Uh, we're going to need gift cards as a form of down payment because our banking system isn't set up yet. And my dad, I know we're laughing as professionals because we're like, oh, gift cards, you know, like, OK. And my dad goes, yeah, absolutely. You know, which ones do you need? And they're like, well, we take anything between like Google Play, iTunes, you know, Best Buy, Target, Walmart, all these like very reputable companies. And my dad goes, OK, when you need this, he goes, I need this by the end of the day. So that way we can hold your spot. And my dad goes, okay. And so he called um, another person in my family telling them about this amazing deal and how like he has the insight to like this new and upcoming like tech company and all this stuff. And uh, of course, like the person he called was like a very, very busy person. They're like, oh, you know, it sounds cool. You know, good luck with that. And uh, (laughs) so my dad ends up calling me uh, later that night and he goes, hey kid. I was like, hey dad, what's up? He goes, gonna be embarrassed with what i just did <laughs> and i was like okay and then he tells me the story and i said how much did you spend on the gift cards man and he goes five hundred dollars and i said you spent five hundred dollars at target and he goes yeah and i said did you give the person the you know the gift card numbers he goes well i realized i was falling for like a scam when they were wanting more money and they kept calling me while I was at the store and the guy was getting angry with me because I want to like spend more money at the store. And I said, so that's where you thought that was an issue was when the customer service person was harassing you and yelling at you for not spending more money. (laughs) And He goes, yeah. And so I said, where are the gift cards? And he goes, I lost them.
0: (laughs) That's the best part of the story. <laughs>
1: um, I was like, what do you mean you lost him? He goes, I don't know. So I don't I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but I grew up in the Midwest and we have a thing called a junk drawer and it's in your kitchen and we put all of the random stuff in our pockets, like receipts, gift cards, random keys that have been there for 13 years. You have no idea where they go to anymore. Flashlights, dead batteries. They all go in this drawer that nobody ever opens ever again until like it's crammed and you have to clean it out. Anyways, it was in the junk drawer, if you're curious, so.
2: <laughs> well, they found them. Yeah, wow. that's good. I, I know exactly what you're talking about with the drunk, junk drawer. Yeah, yeah so. I, I
1: feel like we all have a junk drawer. <laughs> so anyways, kind of tying that back in, I, I said, Dad, you know, you got to look out for these things. Is it too good to be true you even expecting this? Like, are they asking for gift cards? And uh, kind of relating back to emails, you know, that we receive, same behaviors. Is this a known person? Is this a suspicious link or attachment when I hover over it? You know, does this even make sense? Did I even like have communication with this? If the answer is no, don't interact with it. (laughs) Report it.
2: (laughs) It it feels like there's so many things, though, uh, especially for the uninitiated out there, like, how do you keep track? How do you train someone? Like obviously gift cards, obviously it's bad, Uh, (laughs) but like, is there a list you use or like a methodology you train people? Like here, here's how you evaluate an email coming into you. Here's how you evaluate that phone call.
1: Yeah. So it depends if I'm talking about like the talks I do and I'm being engaged with my community, there's a kind of like a blanket list I give out that they can train users. Now, my family, my dad obviously learned this the hard way, and uh, this resulted in him like asking about every single rain of text message he gets now if it's legit or not. <laughs> and so, um, recently, to kind of combine both like at home and, you know, the cyber community, I for Cybersecurity Awareness Month, I created a GitHub. And this GitHub has templates of phishing or even smishing opportunities. And it's something that we can give back and give to our family or even our corporate friends and be like, hey, this is a way we can train. And I base it off of different levels of difficulty. So essentially, the more phishing attributes a phishing email has, uh, the higher the likelihood a a user should be able to know that this is phishing. And they can use this to train their environment and then eventually kind of take away those fishing attributes. So that way it's a little more of a harder difficulty to spot this as a fish. Uh, we talk about different types of fishing threats in today's environment. You know, we have spear fishing, we have whaling, we have smishing, and then we have more sophisticated ones, kind of like spoofing, where they're literally trying to impersonate your company and make it seem legit. So.
0: Now, in some of your, your talks that I'll admit I've, uh, I, you know, I've, I've gone back and watched them and they're, and they're really fascinating, but there's one concept that you talked about, um, at least in one of them, which was user architecture. Can you yes. dive a little bit deeper into kind of what you mean by user architecture and, and, and how you use that to kind of educate and, and or explain social engineering?
1: yeah um especially with our corporate environment um i always say our number one job as security professionals is to make security education both effective and usable for our users if it's too easy you know users are going to view education as just a roadblock in their day-to-day and then if it's too difficult this is where frustration happens they get angry and then next thing you know like you can't send specific phishing emails because someone got offended and then now it's a whole thing on what you can and can't send Um, Now, user architecture is kind of used to develop and understand how our users think and how our users act towards security threats. And this is how you can take that and mold your security education program. Um, Going back to how our users think, right? Uh, We, as security professionals, are essentially their number one influence, our users' influence, as to how to think and essentially then act towards security threats. So if we're making education very engaging and exciting and we're highlighting some of the wins that we have with our user base, then it's going to inspire and motivate the users to be part of that user security stack in our corporate environment. Now, how our users act towards security threats, you know, essentially same thing. Um, I always kind of use a different mindset with this. Some people think with phishing, you know, it's going to be our users are either going to click or they're not going to click. But there's a little more to that. Uh, we think about our corporate environment. We have a lot of different people that make up our environment. We have our IT admins. We have our developers. We have HR or finance, communication, sales, et cetera, right? How those people engage and act towards education is going to be nine-day difference than maybe how our IT or cyber folk are going to be engaged towards education. And during my talk, I had discussed an example of like, hey, this company got fished, right? Uh, Dave, who works in finance, he probably communicates very frequently with like 401k and benefits. And then we have Steve in sales. Steve talks with marketing and, you know, external vendors because he's making revenue. So if they get fished with something and the phishing email is targeting something in the financial department, obviously, Dave is probably going to have a better likelihood to report that as a phish than Steve. And then it kind of compares that, well, how would your IT admins, you know, people with access to confidential information, how are they going to act towards that threat? Because now that's a different level of risk. So understanding that user architecture can really help mold your security education program.
2: You used an interesting phrase in there uh, at one point, and thank you for that answer. Um, a security education mindset. Uh, what, what do you mean by that? What, what, what is a security education mindset? Like, how do you define that?
1: Yep. So mindset as in let's put our security hat on, what would we do in this situation, right? Uh, And especially with security education, within Cybersecurity Awareness Month, there's been many different topics like how to safely store your passwords, right? Or we talk about phishing emails. Maybe should you be reusing the same password X amount of times at what point, you know, is security going to be usable or security going to be an inconvenience for a user? So that's where that security education mindset comes in because it's going to help a user evaluate risk with cybersecurity.
2: So in other words, like the overall mentality you're hoping that everybody has is like, well, this looks fishy, literally fishy. Uh, (laughs) Did I learn something about this? Let me think back. Um, how am I protecting the world? Is that, that, that's kind of what it is?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: One of the things that I'm interested is always kind of trends that are happening in this space. And, you know, you've mentioned in a couple of your answers, and I think also in the example kind of of your dad, I think when a lot of people think of fishing or maybe some social engineering, they think of kind of the blast and, you know, the, the, the blast and pray approach where you have kind of have very generic information you know the the Nigerian prince type one the you know but right. are, are you also and I think that that obviously raises red flags to a lot of people. Yeah, but are you also seeing that we that kind of people running these phishing campaigns? I guess as people are getting more aware, are they getting more sophisticated and using other types of data that people have available online to kind of break down those barriers of trust? Is that is that is that something that's kind of you're you're seeing as a trend or is, is that always been there?
1: So um, I work very closely with my community in the area, and we always talk about, hey, what are you guys seeing? What's going on? Because, you know, that's how we build as a cyber commu- cybersecurity community is how we learn to grow from one another. And it's very interesting to see what's happening now, especially with the evolution of AI that's going on. Um, we kind of talked about, like, they're automating essentially... You know how they're building their templates out. Even some of like the phishing templates I incorporated in my GitHub are things that I've seen, and you can actually see the maturity growing across it because you know they're pulling from all these different sources and probably learning and growing from one another. Um, If we're talking about Chat GPT, it's really cool because even on like a security education point, when you're building your phishing program, uh, you can't just ask Chat GPT to make you a phishing email. It's gonna be like, no, we can't. No, I can't do that. But you can ask ChatGTP to write you an HTML code that promptly asks you to reset your password within the next 24 hours. Otherwise, your account's gonna be locked out. It would be more than happy to code that out, and then you just replace the URL with whatever landing page you're going to. So, to answer your question, yes, there's definitely been an evolution happening.
2: So, on the adversarial side, are we seeing an improvement in tactic based on AI? Is that helping the attackers? more than it's helping the defenders do you think or is it kind of a wash right now
1: i i it's a cat of mouse game dwayne long story short
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah one side gets better the other side gets better as a direct result um yeah. watch for uh that's something i have noticed in the phishing emails i have received is the quality has gone up dramatically
1: absolutely uh, yeah. got
2: one from uh someone purporting to be amazon last week and it looked really good. And I always, if, if it wasn't for the fact that it was suggesting something completely random, uh, like there's no reason I would buy, um, women's cut undershirts. Are you sure? no. <laughs> it wouldn't be something in my profile. I looked at the headers, like, this is weird. Cause well, this looks like an Amazon email. I sh- should have clicked on that normally, but because I'm in security, I looked at the header immediately. Like, well, that's not right. Yeah. Uh, but it, Are we seeing that? Are you seeing that trend out there that AI is pushing like non-English speakers to write better phishing emails or?
1: I've definitely seen it with my personal inbox and kind of going back, you can, you can kind of tell, um, I always think it's cool when you start seeing the AI generated images now in the emails, because they're just pulling it from every single source. And I remember back in my day, you know, we actually had to write our own scripts for this stuff, (laughs)
0: Yeah, and what you know, it's interesting what you say too is that you know if you ask ChatGPT to write you malware or to write a phishing email, it it will obviously say no. And there are some areas of there's some cheat sheets for prompt injection which will convince it at this point to to get it. But the game keeps changing, right? The cat and mouse game because Chat. But we also have to think a bit more long term. So right now, you know, there's a lot of open source versions of ChatGPT that are coming out. You know, like Llama, you know, is one that comes to mind, you have Rex, you have other ones. So and and these open source ones, it's open source. So they whilst they still have some guardrails, the source code to remove those guardrails is there and it's pulling from the same data sets, which is a common cruel data set. So the point of this being is that whilst we have the guardrails when we're looking at chat DPT, you know, the, the tools that the attack is using, they don't necessarily have those and the, and you and you can get other LLMs to kind of write you this and you know how long ago it, what last year we were still training everyone that if you see spelling mistakes in an email it's probably phishing you know now that's oh
1: involved. yeah now that one now, out the window
0: yeah yeah <laughs> because even you can even put a phishing email in chat gpt and just say hey check spelling i mean it, it doesn't know the context of what you're trying to do unless you're unless you ask it to do something so i mean it's interesting yeah. um
1: or even like the trend now with like the social media creation like count creations for people who are going on linkedin they're building a whole entire profile of this person and making all these connections. And then, you know, this person reaching out to you through a message and they're like, Hey, can you check out my resume? And it's like their PDF of their resume, but really it's embedded with, you know, a bunch of security Mm -hmm. risks that they're trying to introduce to your computer. So it's crazy. I'm excited. You know, as a blue teamer, I'm excited to see what's about to happen, but (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's it yeah that's that's good well i mean look, even look I, i won't lie i've done some i've done some uh some some social engineering but not maliciously just to try and avoid people from you know when you go to a conference the biggest tip i can tell people create a fake company Make yourself a yes. CISO or CEO of that company. You'll win all the swag, all those competitions. <laughs> you won't realize how rigged they are until the CEO of some made-up company that sounds real, you know, like, <laughs> like Lectrotech. I think I've heard of <laughs> Lectrotech.
2: Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like, I have so many
1: shirts now. Lectrotech
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. uh, is my startup. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
0: well, look, let's talk about some of the the... the the weakest leaks in a company uh, that, you know, that, that we have. So obviously we're in security. When we hear things like gift cards, we get suspicious naturally, but we also have to remember that we're in this. We talk about it. Are you seeing any trends of departments that are maybe being targeted more than others? I feel like we pick on marketing and sales a lot, you know, like in this area that they're the ones that kind of will, I guess, because, you know, sales
2: are more motivated. Yeah, they're probably a bit
0: more motivated to click on, you know, like fresh hot lead. But what are kind of like the, do you you see the weakest links in departments and organizations? Are are there people that are kind of uh, more prone to these types of attacks that we need?
1: Yeah, so when I did, it was actually a couple of conferences ago when I did that social engineering. Um, It's always kind of cool to see what people have to say what's going on within their area. Um, especially if i travel up north or west to like areas i don't really normally go to um i had this one person in my conference and he goes i can really relate to the finance and the sales reference he made and i was like oh cool and i was like do you care to share and uh, he goes our c-suite is probably the least secure people in our business and i said why? (laughs) And he goes, because they don't want to apply their, our security education. They don't want to apply, you know, you know, MFA. They don't want to do all these other things because it's an inconvenience with their day-to-day because they're trying to do so much for the company that like security puts out roadblocks. Now it's an inconvenience on them doing. And uh, I also had another person comment, you know, Hey, I feel the same, but it's with our HR department. And so then this other person goes, oh, yeah, don't get me started about marketing and sales. And I was like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's interesting. Um, I'm one of those people that truly believe security is everyone's business. You know, it doesn't matter if you're Joe Schmo that works and does packaging or if you're, you know, the CEO of a whatever company, you're a threat actor is going to be targeting you either way. So I think it just really depends on your organization.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. Is that like everyone, everyone, and, and while some people may be, may be more prone to different attacks, you also have to think that, you know, IT staff are pretty high value targets. If they can successfully yeah. get into us, you know, they often have a lot of very, and this is what we'll see, especially with, um, you know, with developer accounts. I have a funny, yeah. I have a funny phishing story that I think you'll like for, <laughs> for developer accounts. I have a friend called Philippe, uh, who's a pen tester. And he was trying to get someone to, he was phishing developers as part of a, uh, a campaign. And he wanted to get access into the CI/CD pipelines. That was his goal. So he created this complex phishing email uh, pretending to be GitHub. And he purchased the domain gitlhub.com. And so it kind of looked like GitHub. Yeah. Sent out this phishing campaign didn't work didn't work I know it sounds like a shit story but it gets better it, it didn't it didn't work the developers didn't click on it they were too smart so philippe went aloft a few months later philippe got a notification uh, to say that his logs were all full in this in this website he was running now he had created a mirror of github so anytime anything publicly changed on github it was mirrored on his server what ended up happening is someone made a, a tweet that had a spelling mistake in it that Went for GitL Hub, the, the search engine started indexing it. Then L Hub was started appearing on searches when people were. Looking <laughs> oh no. to projects. And he had an entire log, like, his logs were completely full of credentials for people. <laughs> so he went, he set out to fish one guy, failed, ended up fishing like tens of thousands. <laughs> oh <lady>. my God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but anyway i like that it's one of my favorite stories i think dwayne's heard it about three times at this point but you know what dwayne i like I, my great. favorite story at the i have got to keep milking
1: <laughs> i would have done a conference session on that
2: <laughs> yeah oh, i gave my credentials to get Elle hub yeah. <laughs> uh, so speaking of platforms uh, i want to move the conversation back to security education because yes. it's such an important topic. Uh, for folks out there who are like just trying to get started and they're like, well, this is a great idea. I should bring security education to a wider audience in my org. Uh, are there any platforms or services or tools uh, you can recommend for getting started with a security education program?
1: Yeah, yeah. so kind of kind of relate to, I guess, people out there. I always say cybersecurity doesn't make the company revenue, we cost the company revenue to protect the revenue. So some people might counteract with, well, technically we're making money. I was like, no, we're asking for money. And I always say, especially this time of year, you know, we have a bucket of budget talking about 2024 and security goes, well, we need support our SOAR. Well, we need to hire resources or our EDR license is about to expire. That's a couple million right there. Oh, don't forget our SIM. We need more hardware that's expensive. So that's where all that money goes. And then at the very end, you kind of have like the leftover change. And sometimes that's where it goes to education or sometimes that might go somewhere else. Right. And so really reputable tools out there can be very very expensive especially when it starts to become a uh, pay by user basis and if your company is a couple of thousand people that small bucket of money it goes by really really fast so when i did my talk uh, i kind of refer to my graduate studies when i was going through my masters program I kind of wanted to create my own education program and I wanted to, you know, be able to learn more about user architecture within my university and like be able to provide an effective education. Uh, fun fact, when I did my research, I had zero dollars to spend. I was I was rolling in the dough <laughs> on, on money to spend. So uh, I went out there, I did some research and I was just like, I can't I can't code my own program anymore because most SMTP services block automated, you know, scripts like that. And I don't want to host my own SMTP service because, you know, like I'm running this on a desktop that was barely alive. You know, I was poor, still building my computer. So I was like, okay, um, what to do? So I came across a tool called GoGetFish. And GoGetFish is open source. It's on GitHub. You can download it and typically i'm a little skeptical of go get fish just because oh not go get fish in general but like open source in general uh because A lot of times programmers will just code and then they'll post a project and then they'll forget about it and then move on to the next thing. And you're just like, well, I I want this feature or I want this. And they're like, yeah, that's that's cool. So GoGetFish isn't like that. The developers are very in tune with the community. Um, They post a lot of good release notes. And, you know, in fact, their documentation on how to deploy, it's very usable. They have video walkthroughs. I know a lot of reputable products that cost a lot of money don't even have video walkthroughs. So I thought that was pretty cool. I'm not an application developer, so I was able to use that pretty well. Um, There's a couple of other tools out there. Uh, The GitHub that I use for my templates calls out to a lot of these open source tools because it's designed to bulk upload into these projects and be able to create your own phishing campaign. But yes, GoGetFish is a good one. Um, If we're talking about just general security awareness, I know a lot of companies are starting to incorporate what's called a fishbowl. And it started at Brown University. And it's when a lot of trends would happen with reporters sending in a specific fish, right? Like, hey, this looks like it's coming from our IT department, but it's not. And so they would screenshot that email and they would post it to the company and just be like, hey, this is for awareness. You know, Our security is working on blocking this, but if you see this, report it. And so it was an effective way to get communications out and then also allowed users to essentially have archived documentation of different types of fish that were trending in the company so it was a reference for them to go back to and see like the different fishing attributes that they were seeing and everything and it's something that's absolutely free but very effective to spread communication
2: yeah communication seems like it keeps coming back as like the main thing we need to do out there just keep communicating yep here are the risks, here's what can go wrong, and here's how you don't do it. Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, look, we're coming to the end and I'm conscious of your, your time, but I always like to play a game uh, with everyone here called Best and Worst. And I like to ask people, what is the best security advice that you can give or you have received? And what's the worst security advice that you've ever heard someone say? So I'll say best. What What would be the best security advice you could give people or someone has given given you.
1: We'll kind of keep the theme of security education going. So the best advice that I've ever received is slow down and think. Um, it's very easy to get caught up in your day-to-day. It's very easy, I, especially the world we live in. It's instant gratification, right? So just slow down and think, even clicking on URLs, clicking on you know, just general browsing the internet on an ad. Do you really need to click that ad? You know, kind of thing. So just stop and think, hey, is this okay? Um, The worst advice I ever received was uh, your antivirus will protect you from everything. (laughs) And I said, okay. (laughs) Okay.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's good. That's, yeah, the anti, yeah. We, We don't need to worry about that. We have antivirus or we have a firewall. I love that one. No, everything's behind the firewall
1: everything's behind oh, the firewall oh, you like, have a oh, firewall yeah. oh
0: what? why didn't you say so <laughs>
1: <laughs> i don't need a job
0: <laughs> wow. uh well yeah thanks so much for coming onto the show it's been a pleasure um it's been a great conversation uh For people that maybe want to follow you a little bit more, is there a place where they can follow you? Maybe find out at some of the the conferences or I know that you're connected in the community, you speak in your area. What's the best way that people could maybe follow you or connect with you?
1: Yeah. I LinkedIn is probably the best place to contact me. Um, I did join blue sky a couple of months ago, still trying to figure out that platform, <laughs> but I would start with LinkedIn. That's a great place. Uh, all of my conference talks are on my profile. They're underneath my volunteer section. So if that's something that people want to interact with, then absolutely.
0: Well, it's fantastic. Thanks again for coming on the show It's it's been a, uh, it's been great, and uh, hopefully we can catch up again. Uh, maybe, uh, hopefully, before next B sides in Las Vegas. Before
1: but your next Vegas trip, yeah. But
0: <laughs> or the what does they call it? The security summer camp. But yeah, um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but all the best, and uh, look forward to happily running into you or having you on the show again.
1: Awesome, thank you, guys.